I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode has been sponsored by Lauren Gabrielson, which is a women's wear brand that creates elevated essentials for the modern women's wardrobe. The collection is entirely designed and produced in Brooklyn, New York. The Lauren Gabrielson woman values quality, versatile pieces that she can wear every day that are customized to her body, her time, and her style. And by the way, I have two Lauren Gabrielson headbands, which I wear all the time, and you can see in my photos on my events page because I wear them everywhere, and they're amazing, and actually my six-year-old daughter steals mine all the time. So anyway, laurengabrielson.com. I am just so excited to be interviewing Rachel Braithen today. She's the founder and CEO of Yoga Girl and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, also called Yoga Girl. She's an international yoga teacher, the founder of 108.com, which is an online platform for yoga, meditation, and healing, and the co-founder of Island Yoga Studios in Aruba. She established Sgt. Pepper's Foundation, the Animal Rescue Foundation, and Yoga Girl Foundation, benefiting women and children in need. She hosts the From the Heart podcast with over 10 million downloads. Her latest memoir is To Love and Let Go, a memoir of love, loss, and gratitude, which I loved. A Swedish native, she currently lives in Aruba with her husband, Dennis, and their daughter, Leia Luna. I got to interview her live at the Simon & Schuster offices and did an Instagram live, and here's our recording. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for being on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This is such a treat for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, my gosh. So can you tell listeners what To Love and Let Go is about and also what inspired you to write it? To Love and Let Go essentially is about a year in my life where I had the most amazing things happen and the most terrible things happen at the same time. So my best friend passed away really tragically in a car accident and she was supposed to be the a bridesmaid in my wedding. Three months after that, I got married to my husband, which was a highlight, of course. <laughs> and then my grandmother passed away. Then we lost our dog. And then my mom tried to commit suicide. And this all happened in the scope of one single year. So it was a really big journey for me. And already then I knew I wanted to write these stories down because I had so many intricate moments of, I don't know, things that felt like divine intervention, like little miracles that happened in those really dark times. And I wanted to write about it, but it's taken me five years to actually complete the book. So five years is really not bad when you think about how much went on in just one year. I mean, <laughs> when it you look can at take it like people that. a lifetime to get this kind of stuff down. Right? Yeah, you're right. When you look at it like that. And but you, I knew. Were, you were finishing Yoga Girl also. Yeah, at that, that at same that time. time. So Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's not so strange that it took me a little while. <laughs> I just think, you know, you got to give yourself some credit. Yeah, 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 you're right. Um, and Yoga Girl became a best-selling book as well. Mm-hmm. And that was more, that was less life story-ish. Tell me about the differences between the books. Yeah, I mean, Yoga Girl is very, like, a poppy, colorful book. So mm-hmm. I tell my story. There's definitely some depth in there. But there's also yoga sequences and recipes, a little bit more like a how-to to give people kind of like a doorway into the practice of yoga. So it was a lighter book to write. It didn't take me very long <laughs> to write it. I knew the story I wanted to tell. And then when I was finishing the American version of that book, all of these things happened that kind of led to the second book. So in a way, touring to love and let go now, it's this completion of a, of a cycle somehow. I love what you said on Instagram about going back to Austin and where you were the first time you were there. Yeah. And like now you're back and... People keep showing me, you know, we're going to the same bookstores or the same kind of events we had four years ago. And people keep showing me photos of the photo we took then with the first book. And then now we're in the same place with the second book. So it's it's nice to meet everyone. Well, I have to say your book like came into my life, I feel like, through divine intervention, like exactly when I needed it. I had lost my best friend on 9-11. 
when we were 25 years old. And I feel like this time of year brings all of that back for me. And so getting your book right then, I was like in it, but I was with you and all of your loss. And I was like, I got this book for a reason. Which I'm so sorry for your loss. No, no, it's okay. But hearing all of the stuff you went through, not to compare losses because, you know, everybody's experience is obviously so different, but just... You gave me exactly what I needed when I need it, and I know you've been there for so many other people in that same way. So just a quick thank you, and then I'll dive oh, into all the things you. I want to ask. I um, love the timing of things. I think that's always how books work, though. Yeah. You know, we get they, them like, when we're supposed you. to receive them. Mm. It's so nice. Okay, so a couple of things I want to talk about mm-hmm. in the book. So you included a lot of scenes from different meditation retreats and yoga conferences and retreats where you have all these huge releases of emotion. I mean, they're really, like, overpowering and the way you describe them is beautiful and you're like right there with you. One time you said, every word that came out of my mouth came both as news to me, I didn't know that I had been feeling that way, and as something I knew as absolute truth. You even commented on how crazy it is that usually we keep all of that anger inside and you said letting it out isn't what's crazy, holding it in is. So I just wanted to hear more about that release and also, like, do you have to go to a meditation (laughs) retreat? Like, how does the average person get that anger or get those feelings place. out without having to, you know, yeah. take ayahuasca <laughs> or do something wild and crazy. Yeah. I think this is, I think it's strange that this is such an overlooked part of, of our lives. Honestly, we are never really taught any sensible way to release any kind of emotion, even for a lot of people releasing, you know, intense joy or gratitude. People tell us we're too much, you know, we don't want to be too happy. And we're also not taught how to actually process emotions like fear or anger or sadness. We're supposed to just keep it together all the time. And even I can see it now as a as a parent, how hard it is to raise a child, because I want to raise her in a way where she can feel her emotions and express how she feels and not put the lid on because it's you know, uncomfortable for me or in a social situation. And it's really hard. So I think we turn into these adults that, you know, we have these kind of smiles plastered on our face all day long and people ask, how you doing? Fine, we're fine, we're fine. And even when we're not fine, we say we're fine. And the only way really to heal through really intense, you know, moments of grief or despair or or challenge is to, to feel the feelings that are there. And we're not taught how to do that. So we kind of escape, we self-medicate, we go around them, we pretend they're not there. And of course, with time, we get depressed. We find ourselves in a huge life crisis. You know, whatever is under the surface is going to bubble over eventually, or we get physically ill, or it's going to manifest somehow. So for me, I've had a lot of those big moments of whether it's been, you know, at a retreat or in ceremony or in a way where it's kind of orchestrated, where you feel safe and then it's easier to release those kinds of emotions. But I try to have the practice of every day feeling my feelings somehow. So, and this is what I try to teach people through the work that I do. And that's what we do in my retreats and things like that too. But when I'm feeling sad, what's my immediate gut reaction to that? How do I, you know, for me, sadness usually shows up as anger. I get annoyed. Don't talk to me. Everybody's doing everything wrong. I blame And then I have to get to a place where I can actually, okay, well, what's here? I'm actually hurt by something. That's why I'm acting this way. And what I need is a really good cry. So I need to cry every day, (laughs) which is a big realization, at least for me to have. And that whenever I get to that place where I feel overwhelmed by emotion, that what I need is not to soldier on or push through, but some space alone or someone to talk to or someone to vent with or a physical moment of releasing that that emotion, whatever it is, which 
can be like a five-minute crazy dance party in my living room or beating the hell out of a pillow in my bed. Or like I go to the ocean. I live in a secluded place. I can do this. I go to the ocean and yell sometimes. Some sort of physical release of that energy because we need it. We really need it. In New York, where we are now, I think it's so evident how many people need Need that kind of, yeah, release, but we don't really have the space to do it. So I think it's really something life-changing, but it's just, you know, not really accepted in our society to have a meltdown at the grocery store when we're an adult. So yes, we although shaping. I've wanted to. Right, you know. but we don't. <laughs> we have right? sunglasses or whatever, yes. Right, and then that energy has to go somewhere, so where does it go? Yeah, nowhere good. Yeah, right. Well, it's good to keep in mind that it's okay to let that out regularly, and in fact, it's imperative to do so. Yes, so finding our own ways. We don't I hear think. that enough. So right. That's, that's good, to be, <laughs> good to be the voice of that. And this sort of dovetails with what you said in the book. You said, and this is during this horrendous, how do you even pronounce this, ayahuasca? Ayahuasca, Okay, yeah. good. Horrendous ayahuasca experience, which, like, literally, I could, like, feel the fictitious <laughs> spiders crawling up my skin the way you wrote it. You said, what we resist persists, whether it's pain, anxiety, fear, loss, whatever emotions you feel, don't fight it, experience it. Feel it all, lean into it, surrender to it, breathe into it fully. Open your arms wide and welcome it all. Let go. It will lead you to the light. Hmm. So I just loved that passage. Tell me about that experience and how you got to that moment. Because then you carry that through the rest of the book, where whenever you go up against all these tough situations, you're like, no, no, I'm going into the pain. Like, I'm releasing, and then I can deal with it. Yeah. It wasn't until now that I'm doing some press for the book that I realized that this ayahuasca chapter was a big deal because a lot of people are picking up on it. I hope I'm not selling it as something that's, you know, easy to do or easily accessible. Now I feel like a failure that I picked something so common. <laughs> no, 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 no. I try to find things that I think, are no, I think not because so common. In the yoga community, it's kind of common. Not common, but yeah. like in my yeah. community, a lot of people have done ayahuasca or know what it is. Mm-hmm. But in the rest of the world, it's like, what is this insane hallucinogenic so, you know, it's it's totally crazy and totally insane. So it's not something that I recommend people seek out or, you know, especially not in, in a, if it's not a trusted environment. I do not think your book was an advertisement okay, for good. this in any way. Okay, good, in fact, good, good, it was God. like a run for the hills if this thing is even near you type of situation. So okay, good, do not worry. Good, good. Do not worry. Yeah. But it, it really was one of those things where... And I don't do drugs. I mean, I've, I'm any mind-altering substance I've always been super terrified of my whole life. So everyone else who was at this ceremony with me had done a lot of, you know, had experiences with psilocybin or LSD, mushrooms, those kinds of things. And I didn't. So I think I was a little, not naive, but I, I didn't really know the extent of what I was getting into. But I ended up having this life lesson that, that changed my life. Like I still experienced the effects of that lesson. And it was so palpable because I got to have this I mean, complete experience of all my worst nightmares, like an acid trip gone wrong, mm-hmm. essentially. All my worst nightmares happening at the same time with this realization that I am about to die. And it wasn't this thought or a fear that maybe I'm going to die. It was this 100% truth that I am on the verge of death. There's no escaping it. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it. And somehow that, it was too much. <laughs> that energy was too too much for my mind to cope with, I guess. So I just... I had this very physical experience of letting go. Okay, why fight it? I'm going to die anyway. I'm not going to make it. Why fight? I might as well, like, it was very physical. Like, I can feel that. I can tap into that feeling still. And the moment I did, everything changed. It really was like this huge shift from darkness to absolute light. Just this godlike 
this experience that I'd read about and all the sacred texts and that you hear about in yoga class or meditation or spiritual books was this oneness somehow. And it's something that I've tried to, I remind myself of that all the time or I get reminded of that all the time when I'm in a place and I'm resisting or when things are really hard that, okay, I can't push my way through all of these things. You know, they're here for a reason. So the easier way to process this is to allow you know, it doesn't mean I have to stay in a shitty situation, right, but right. to accept where I am and then take action from from there. I feel like I should just follow you around because you keep <laughs> having this divine light like shine on you and light up the the water where you are. And like <laughs> I, I feel like you have you're like an angel with this like hey, I feel like if I could just like scooch you know behind you, I would be getting these rays oh, yeah. of like divinity or something. <laughs> I don't know. This, I feel like it should have been a subtitle of this book, something like <laughs> the light and me. Anyway, so to go on like an, another emotional track here. Losing your friend Andrea, and I'm sorry to bring this up so callously in the midst of a 30-minute interview, but the first chapter of this book might be the best first chapter I've ever read. It was so dramatic, and you didn't know what was coming, and your sickness at the same time, and not knowing what was happening with you, and the fact that it it ended up—I mean, it was like— I, I couldn't believe it. I, like, stopped reading it and told my husband. I was like, oh, my God, this first chapter. Like, <laughs> see you in two days. I'm reading the rest of this book right now. And, of course, I'm so sorry for your loss. But you wrote about these emotions in such a raw, open way, as if you were going through them now. And I was just wondering, now that some time has passed, how you reflect back on, like, that initial period of loss and grief and if you've managed to find—and, obviously, some, a lot of good has come in that— you've made a lot of spiritual progress and you've helped so many other people, but what would you think are maybe some, any positives that might've come out of such a horrendous situation? I mean, it's such a hard question to answer. I, I am a big fan of the the term or the cliche, you know, to trust that life takes you where you're supposed to be. And I share that a lot. I wrote that in my first book a lot. And then when I was moving through all of this intense grief and loss, that was just the most insulting thing anyone could ever say. You know, yeah. like everything happens for a reason. So, so there's no, it's a really insulting thing to say to someone who just lost someone. Yeah. So I don't believe that death, you know, has to be purposeful. Like, oh, it's all for a reason. It took me somewhere. I believe more in the sense of finding some sort of purpose in loss. So would I, you know, take all of it back? I mean, any any good things that have come from this, if I could have five more minutes with my best friend, like absolutely, and, you know, wouldn't even think about it. But I think the growth that happens from moving through those kinds of struggles, it shapes you in a way that I can sense in my bones that was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. That growth, I was supposed to learn these things. I was supposed to have my heart crack open in these ways. I was supposed to know how to touch this level of grief and sorrow so that I can speak on it and touch other people in that same way who are moving through similar things. That was supposed to happen. Did it have to happen, you know, by her dying in that way? Hopefully not. You know, I like to believe that we're meant to go through some sort of struggle and then we get what we get, you know, and we got to just do what we can with, with that. But it's a hard concept because I really believe in this, the spiritual truth of we are where we are, right? right? Yep. So we can't, it's, it's a hard part of, of grief, wanting to go back to something that, that isn't there anymore or wishing for something to be different or that shouldn't have happened, she shouldn't have died. I still think that that's true, she shouldn't have died, but here we are. Right. So it's, it's this concept I still struggle with a, a lot. I also thought it was so powerful, the part when you were in the retreat after your dog had passed away and you were just like overcome by remorse and wishing you could have done something to help. And 
I can't remember her name. Shaz. Anyway, I can't remember who was working with you on it, but she said something like, would you have done everything you could to save your dog? And yeah, you're like, Shuba. Yeah, yeah, Shuba. Yeah. But you couldn't. You couldn't have mm. saved him. Like, it's like you would have, but you did. You did everything you could. Mm. I know, it's just another way of looking at it. I didn't say that right yeah. well, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. And I remember, because of course I knew that. Like, right. no, if I could have it, saved him, would I have saved him? Of course. But it was... Yeah. Sometimes we have to hear things in, in, in this moment when we're actually open to receiving it. Yes. Which is why I think when we move through loss, we can have a hundred people tell us all the nice things and we can read all the nice books and, and then we're just not ready to actually listen. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and for some of us, that's a lifetime of, of not being able to maybe feel safe enough to open up into a place where we can actually use the pain in, right. a, in a way. Because, I mean, I know people, I mean, my mom is a great example of that. She lost her fiancé when she was 25. She's, it's, you know, spent 15 years not thinking about it, mm-hmm. not talking about it, yeah. not processing it. It was this, you know, chapter we tore out of our lives. And then her healing process started. And then it was a, like it happened yesterday. You know, that time doesn't matter at all. So it's, I think, timing and feeling safe and having the resources and the support to, to actually hold our hands as we move through these things because we can't do it alone. And I have to say, I started getting a little worried about you because you were having such intense panic attacks in this book and you were having times you thought you were going to die and trying to call somebody like, I can't breathe. And I could just feel you like trying to gasp for air with these horrific panic attacks. And I just wanted to make sure that you get it, you got some sort of treatment for that or like <laughs> you're seeing somebody to talk yeah. about it or you have some medication or something. Like I'm worried like you're going to walk down the street and have another panic attack. Do you feel like you have it under control? I never or? felt that way in my life, actually. It was just then. It was just then. I never, I'm really grateful I had the experience because in my trainings and retreats and groups that I, that I do, I see so many people who suffer from anxiety and anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And it's kind of like, you know, teaching yoga, any physical ailments you've had are the greatest resource you have because it's not until you've had intense back pain that you actually know how to teach someone who's moving through intense back pain. Hmm. And similarly with all, with, with guiding someone through something emotional like that. So I would have people come to class and I suffer from panic attacks and I would go oh but I didn't understand what that meant Mm -hmm. until I had one and it was this oh my god I'm I'm about to die it's like death is imminent now and then realizing that that didn't originate from this physical place inside of me it wasn't just my throat closing up you know it's it's this grief being overwhelmed by too much emotion so it's not something that I uh, that was reoccurring. It was just during this time in my life where I, where I can see now where I didn't have an outlet to talk about it. I wasn't sharing. I wasn't speaking. I wasn't seeing a therapist. I was kind of like, everything's great now. I've moved on, which right. I hadn't. So I think the best way through for anyone who suffers is to make sure that we have the outlet to speak about it, that we don't keep these things to ourselves because the everything that we keep in the dark, it just grows. And then it becomes this unbearable thing until we shine the light on it. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm not alone in this. I can manage it, but we have to speak about it all the time. So another thing I found really interesting in your book is that you have all these followers. You have like 2 million Instagram followers. And everywhere you go, people are like reaching out and hugging you. And you talk about the mixed feelings you had, especially at the beginning of basically fame, right? That everywhere, especially in certain communities where you went, you were like, you know, people just like wanted to, to touch you. Like you're like a, a sacred, you know, like the Dalai Lama or something walking oh, among God. these people. No, seriously. <laughs> but, you know, the way you describe it, even on Instagram, when you showed the line of people like wrapped around, just waiting and saying how you hugged 500 people. I mean, that has to take a lot out of you as a person. So how do you take care of yourself? I know you have all these meditation and yoga and all these healthy things you do, but like, 
What do you do at the end of a long day when you're, like, exhausted by some event, like, the other day you're reading? Or, how, like, how do you get through the day-to-day? Someone just asked me that in a book event. Of oh, those, no, like, another question no, someone asked you. I will funny. ask you an original because question. Because then we were, there was, you know, hundreds of people there. And then, oh, and you're going to hug all of us. And then at the end of this day, like... What's the secret? And I was, I felt like she's waiting for me to give her this Sanskrit mantra that I do or the specific meditation. And it's just, I drink a lot of wine. Good. No, I'm like, I don't <laughs> want a mantra. I want to know the yeah. brand of chocolate the that you eat to cope. That is what I'm looking for here. <laughs> no, the secret that I've found that really works for me is when I'm on, I'm on. And I can rock that. I can go on on tour. I can be on all day, all night, hug a thousand people and and really be there and and not have to fake it. But then when I'm off, I turn off. And that's when I struggle. So for instance, on this tour, if we have an off day in between and then I meet someone kind of accidentally, they're not going to get the best version of me because then I'm in this private space. I don't really want to talk to anybody. I want to go take a yoga class and not have someone next to me, like bring their phone out. Then I get pissy <laughs> with people. So I, I kind of have the contrast of knowing when to be on. And then when I'm, I live on, a, on an island in the middle of nowhere, like it, there's three houses on our road, no people around. So I think that's how I rebalance is I get to be really off and not, it's like two totally different sides to my life. Yeah. And then wine and yeah. yoga. You do the yoga, you, you, you know, you drink the wine, you eat the chocolate, you meditate, you feel your feelings. I think all of it, whatever works. And you've built this whole community around your desire to help people and have people help each other, right? Lift each other up, admit to our feelings, heal together. I mean, it's really a beautiful thing that you're doing. And on your website, you say it's a new lifestyle movement and brand to heal and change the world, just to have minor little goals here, and that everyone can be a yoga girl. So maybe this is like an oxymoron. How can you be a yoga girl if you don't necessarily have time to do yoga classes or like, how can you tap into that if you don't have time to do the other stuff? I know I can't touch yeah, on this before, but this yeah. is what I'm really focused on. Like, because a lot of people don't have time to take yoga oh, or sure. even meditate or whatever, but want to tap into the part of your community where we can help each other. How, how can we do that? Yeah. And I think when we kind of expanded onto that platform and uh, it was a really conscious choice that I made of, I don't want to be at the center of all of this Mm -hmm. anymore. It's really important for me that this is about community, that we're lifting each other up. And it's the yoga practice, the physical poses we practice on the mat. That's just a tool. Mm -hmm. And it's a tool that's worked really well for me. It's working for a lot of people, but it doesn't have to be that every day we make our way to some fancy yoga studio and we pay 30 bucks to go take a 90 minute yoga class. You know, for many of us, it's the five minutes we'd spend breathing while our, we just dropped our kid off at school or, you know, right before we go to bed or it's, making the active choice to, you know, sit in silence or journal or call up that friend that we're all on the path searching for that kind of self-love. So that's what it, for me at least, the embodiment of, of being a yoga girl is that we're searching together. And the clue to all of this or the kind of the glue that holds everything together is we have to heal ourselves first before we can really ever help anybody else. But the moment we do, the moment we start filling our own cup, whether it's through community, through friendship, through yoga, through family, all the tools that we have and the beautiful things that we have. We're going to all of a sudden realize that we have so much and then that can overflow. We can actually do something that's of service to the rest of the world. So it can't just be, you know, me and my yoga and my green juice and my health. And that's the end of it. It has to be, okay, I'm healing something that needs to be healed here so that I can look up and around and see that there's a whole sea of people that that needs me. You know, we all have something unique to give to the world, but we're never going to be actually able to give that to someone else if we're still working through the pain that we have inside. 
So that's what the Yoga Girl community is about. It's filling our cup and then, you know, helping the world in different ways. And just from a time management perspective, you do so much in your life. You're leading yoga like retreats and classes all over the world. You run yoga studios in Aruba. You have this Yoga Girl community. You have two nonprofits, one for animals, Sgt. Pepper's Foundation, and one for women Children. And children. You host From the Heart podcast, which was so good. And you have a toddler who I, like, fell in love with from the pictures. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) She's like, oh, my gosh. When do you do everything? Not, I mean, you don't have to go into the nitty-gritty, but just how do you, I mean, that's such a cliche question. How do you balance it all? But from a time management perspective, Mm. what are your tricks? Like, how do you fit it into a day? I think it's similar to that, the idea that I have of on and off so I'm a very efficient person. Like I, I really, uh, under pressure and short amount of time, I can get a lot of things done. And I'd rather have a really intense five-hour workday so that I can be really off and spend time with my daughter at the end of that than philander around and do a little bit here and a little bit there. And then all of a sudden I'm working all day long and it mm-hmm. just feels like it's this never ending. Especially if you work with social media or, you know, it's easy to take your work. There's a blurry line between work and personal. I don't really have a clear line there. But the key to everything is is having really good people around you. So I have an amazing team. I delegate a shit ton. That is a, kind of my goal every day is everything that I can delegate, I delegate. And then there are things that no one will ever be able to do. No one can teach my classes. No one can record my podcast. No one can record my books, take my photos, film the things, whatever it is. So I try to have it you know, that's what I really focus on in a day. I used to think that I should do everything and I should have my fingers in everything and kind of control everything and make sure everything is up to what I want. But then realizing that there's other people who do, you know, those things way better than I ever could. So a little bit of letting go, <laughs> I think, helps it's a on, lot. on theme with your on title. On theme, very yeah. on theme. <laughs> <laughs> your next little, you could do like a little time management pamphlet that right. goes along with the book. Along I'll just let you, you can expand your, you know, give me a little credit in the, in the acknowledgments. You can do that book next. Now, actually speaking of next, so are you doing another book? What, I mean, I know you're in the throes of this one, but, and this was such a powerful emotional book and you couldn't possibly replicate something like this, but what are your plans for coming up? I mean, for future books, I have this dream now just from meeting people who've finished the book and who've seeing people, how they've reacted and responded to the book. I would love to do sort of a, like a handbook for people who are moving through the shittiest time of their life, Mm -hmm. just to kind of, in a more digestible way, almost like a little how-to, not that it's going to, you know, save anybody's life in that sense, but to have something when it comes to the actual actionable things that I did to take me through. So the exercises to, you know, feel your feelings, how to move the body, taking care of ourselves in that sense. But that's just a little seed planted in my brain right now. But we have an online platform, yogagirl.com, where I have a lot of new live videos and so yoga and meditation classes also to help people move through through challenging times. So I'm focusing on on that. (laughs) And then eventually I'm going to take a vacation, I think. (laughs) That's also next. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Oh, I love that. I think we spend a lot of time focused on all the things that might not work out. At least that's what I see a lot. All the, that little critical voice in the back of our heads that tells us like, no one's going to like this book or no one's going to pick this book up. You'll never get it published. And sometimes that voice keeps us from even trying. So I think as soon as we start writing, we make the decision, okay, I'm going to go for this. It sets this universal law in, in place where we start to 
have energy drawn toward the thing we're creating. And then all of a sudden doors will open that we didn't see before we started. So I think it's, it's the best, I think, piece of advice I could ever give is to just do the thing. Just start, write the book, you know, do the project, start the business, whatever it is. But especially when it comes to writing, I think we have to write first. And a lot of us feel like, oh, I have a book inside of me, but then we don't actually get to the point of, you know, putting the wheels in the motion to, of actually writing it. So having a good intention and then taking action and then doing that every day. Did you carve out time every day? Like, how did you do it? I mean, I know your husband, Dennis, gave you a notebook and you were sitting <laughs> yeah. on a dock and it just like flowed out of you. But how did you, did you just, how did you incorporate that into? I had the, the original deadline for this book was 2016 for the <laughs> manuscript to be handed in. Uh, that happened 2018 at some point. So I am not the kind of person who writes a little bit every day. I wish I was like that discipline. Like I'm going to write 500 words every day and then eventually you have a book. I am more the, I have a deadline. Everybody's going to kill me. What the hell? <laughs> Gotta write this book and then squeeze it out. But I also, for this book I had, because I had my notebooks and then I had things I'd shared on social media, my diaries. It was piecing all of that together. And then, yeah, it was mostly hard because it was such emotional work. I mean, most Every chapter, I was just bawling my eyes out and had to pause and come back with a fresh mind. So that was part of why this took a really long time. Oh my gosh. If you could go back to the Envision Music Festival that you went to <laughs> with Andrea before she passed away, and that was your last week of like hardcore time together that you wrote about so amazingly well, mm. is there anything you would go back and tell yourself now, having lived through all of this afterwards? <sighs> I mean, I don't think we could have enjoyed that more you know I, I couldn't have improved that experience if anything I would try to change the course of time somehow so that she wouldn't get in the car I mean 10 days later but I, I don't think I could have it was the best looking at it now and I, I was even thinking am I romanticizing it because it happens sometimes we look at at the relationship or the last moment we had it's like it was so good but I made it into something bigger than it was but it wasn't it was exactly that I mean it was amazing and the song that you had and the good things keep coming, coming, coming. Mm. I played. I believe a, in the good I things coming. The, yeah, I played that last night, and I oh, like, yeah. So I was like typing up your. Questions. Isn't he amazing? Oh my gosh! Then I'm like sending my husband the song. <laughs> anyway, it was so good. So now I feel like you've given me a soundtrack. You've given me tools. <laughs> I have my little yoga manual, and I can like go off in this like nicely packaged way. So thank you for <laughs> everything you've given me, and for the amazing experience of just reading this book and getting to share your life so openly and all your emotions and all your posts and just letting the world in to help everybody else. It's really, thank you. So it's really much. beautiful thing that you're doing. Thank you. So. Thanks for reading and it. Thanks for thanks. taking the time for this. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> you're so lovely to talk to. Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thanks. Thanks again to my sponsor, Lauren Gabrielson, the women's wear brand that creates elevated essentials for the modern women's wardrobe, laurengabrielson.com. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 